When you hear the word sovereign, what comes to mind? You don't have to speak it out loud, but you probably are thinking of a few words. When I hear the word sovereign, a number of words come to mind. Words like powerful, but even more than powerful, almighty. A word like ruler and king comes to mind. A word like authority, the one who's in charge. Those are the kind of words that come to mind when I hear the term sovereign. But what kind of words come to mind when you hear this term? Love. Contrasting words, probably. If you're like me, you think of gentleness. You think of kindness. You think of your family. You think of friends. You think of intimacy. When Isaiah announced to the exiles in our passage this morning, chapter 40, that they were going to be delivered from the heavy hand of an oppressor who had taken them captivity and transported them to another country, when he announced to them what was about to happen, he essentially used both words. Not exactly, but figuratively. As a matter of fact, you remember those words. They were read just moments ago, and they went something like this. Go up to a mountain and shout the good news. Your sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. He's mighty. And he tends his, shepherd, his sheep like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm. And he holds them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. He gently leads those who can't quite keep up. Your Lord is coming, says Isaiah, and he's mighty and he's strong and he's a gentle, loving shepherd. Sometimes we have a concept of God that gravitates towards one of those or the other. Some persons have an idea of God that is, that is severe, that's smoke on a mountain, that's mighty, that's holy, that's severe. And other people have a notion of God that's, well, very amiable and nice and loving and kind. And Isaiah, and not just Isaiah, but all the authors of Scripture, if you look carefully, they want to bring the two together. Why do they want to bring the two together? Because it's an important divine convergence of two things, transcendence and imminence. Not words we use every day, but really they're quite simple words. Transcendent means to be above, absolutely over all things. And imminent it means intimate, to be with, to be in all things. So when Isaiah announces that the deliverance is coming, he says that the transcendent God is coming and the imminent God is coming. And when he makes that pronouncement, he's making a pronouncement that is both true and is necessary. 
Well, assume for a moment that it's true. Isaiah said it. The scriptures declare it. Now, why is it necessary? Here's why it's necessary. Because if this God is not transcendent, he's not in charge of all things. If this God is not transcendent, he's not all-powerful. If this God is not transcendent, he cannot, he does not have the ability to make this world what it ought to be. He must be transcendent. He must be powerful in order to be God. But if he's not imminent... If he's not God with us, he's an awesome, powerful God who cannot relate. He's an awesome, almighty God who does not understand. He's an incredible, out there God who can't imagine because he does not have the ability what it's like to live day by day in a fallen world. That's why eminence and transcendence are so important. They must be held together in perfect, holy tension. They must converge in order for us to understand who God is. Isaiah seemed to understand that, and that's why he proclaimed it that way. But you know what the church has said for years? You know. The church has said for years, Isaiah, even if he didn't know it, Isaiah was not just speaking to exiles about a transcendent and eminent gentle shepherd. He was speaking concerning the coming of the ultimate transcendent God and gentle, intimate shepherd. He was speaking about Jesus Christ. That's why we read these passages Sunday after Sunday during Advent. So Isaiah, with these words, he's predicting as the Old Testament authors often do, the coming of Christ. But when we go to the New Testament, something changes. No longer are they predicting what Jesus is going to be like. They're describing what Jesus was. So when we encounter the first encounter with Jesus, when he's still in the womb, and Mary hears an announcement from the angel, the angel says, I want you to understand, I want you to describe to you exactly what's about to happen. In your womb is Emmanuel, God with us. You've never heard it this way. You've never understood it this way. It's God with us. Much later on when Jesus dies and is risen again and goes to be with the Father, the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to help describe for us what it means for God to be with us. And he uses something that's really important to the history of Israel. One of the most important people in the history of Israel was a high priest. And he said, you know what God is like in the person of Jesus Christ? He's like a great high priest. A great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Who walked where we walked. Was tempted in every way like we were tempted and yet without sin. And for that reason, you can go to that high priest. And he will understand. And he will atone for your sins. Because he was God in the flesh. I think probably better than any other 
poem, it really is. In the New Testament, Paul says it well. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, He who was in very nature God, did not consider equality God with God something to be hung on to, to selfishly grasp, but made himself nothing, and entered into the form of a servant. And when he was made in likeness as a human being, he even humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God the Father exalted him above every name that's in heaven and on, ever, and on earth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to whom are you kneeling? Not just a sovereign, mighty God, but a God who is with you. No matter what you're going through, He is with you. My friends, that's the message of Christmas. That's the message of the incarnation, the greatest miracle of all. God with us. What's your understanding or experience of God? Is he just out there? You realize that in this season, we reintroduce you to the reality that he's not just out there. That he's here. That he's among us. And that he wants to dwell in your heart by faith. How beautiful is that? What do you need to do? Really, almost nothing. All you need to do is say, Jesus, thank you. I want to make you my Lord. What a wonderful thing to do at Christmas. You know, that is the good news. As a matter of fact, it's good news worth shouting about. Or, as the cantata is about ready to say, it's worth shouting on a mountain. It's worth singing on a mountain. Because Jesus Christ is born.